It's rare that something has the potential to help both our bodies and the planet at the same time. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Oobly and sweet proteins. Did you know that protein has a sweet tooth? That's right. There are a handful of plants that grow near the equator that make fruit that produce sweet-tasting plant protein that's not sugar. These are called sweet proteins. Sweet proteins are amazing tricksters and taste absolutely delicious. But better yet, they're digested just like any other dietary protein. That means they have no impact on blood sugar or the gut microbiome. Oobly uses sweet proteins to make incredible plant-based, low-sugar, sweet iced teas that are craft-brewed with clean, fresh ingredients and zero artificial sweeteners. No stevia, no sugar alcohols. With only 7 grams of sugar in an entire 16-ounce can, and that includes the fruit, you can have your sweet and sip it too. Oobly's sweet teas come in three delicious flavors, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. Get 20% off your first order with the promo code GENIUS at oobly.com. G-E-N-I-U-S. That's the promo code at oobly.com. O-O-B-L-I dot com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% a real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Hammermeister. Uh, he's the director of the Organic Agriculture Center of Canada, OACC, and an associate professor in the Faculty of Agriculture at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Canada. So we're going to talk about uh, his work and his research. So welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm honored to be on the show. Well, great. Well, tell me a bit about your background and how you got to work with the OACC. And then I want to talk about your work with the OACC. Sure. Yeah. I started uh, off, I guess, on a farm in Saskatchewan. My dad farmed with my uncle and they were a mixed grain and beef operation out in Saskatchewan. And um, as I graduated from high school, I went off to university to study soil science, followed in my my brother's footsteps. And uh, after I finished university, I had a job with the soil science department and uh, did some soil sampling and soil mapping to support wildlife habitat mitigation for dams that were flooding valley bottoms and so on. And in doing so, I met some horticulturalists and some wildlife specialists that were designing the wildlife habitat. And I realized how important the connection between soil and plants and animals was. And that made me want to study that more. So I went off to the University of Alberta to study essentially applied ecology and land reclamation to see how I could manage the soil and fix up broken landscapes from industrial disturbances. And so that was a really interesting diversion. And I worked in conservation a little bit, but then eventually just had the organic bug and wanted to come back to uh, agriculture. And And I I remembered when I was soil sampling back after my undergraduate studies that I had met a farmer that when I visited the farm uh, to collect soil samples, he took me out to his field and he was so excited to share his field with me. It was, uh, he had planted shelter belts uh, by hand and watered them by hand for for decades. And the 
fields were full of wildlife from bees and butterflies to deer and birds. And, uh, and he was just so excited to be out there. And he said, whenever I come out here to work, it's really never feeling like work. It feels like I'm going out to the park. And he ended up cool. being an organic farmer. And that really kind of got me inspired to, to explore organic farming more. What's a shelter belt, by the way? <laughs> Shelter belts are a row of trees that are planted, usually to protect a, a field or maybe even a farmyard by from the wind. And they can also be used to catch snow. So they're also like uh, be kind of shelter belts or windbreaks would be another word for them. Or maybe uh, hedgerows would be smaller versions of shelter belts. Oh, I, see. I picture, yeah, driving down a road and there's a row of trees and right beyond it is someone's farmland. So I think I know what they look like and what you mean. I never knew exactly. they had that name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Here in uh, Austin, Texas, uh, we get wildflowers. This year, it's been raining a lot, you know, periodically. So we get one set of flowers, another and another. And when I drive on the highways, you know, some of the places are unmowed and it's just beautiful. It costs nothing. These tall grasses, like two feet tall are there and all these flowers. And I know it creates a great micro environment probably for bugs, and, you know, all kinds of other creatures and then in other places they just mow it down it's stupid and they have just grass that's like a quarter inch high and it's like it just it wastes money and gas and everything and it's just there's no environment for anything it's just i, I think it's foolish it's just something i observe here yeah i just i love i love native grasslands and they're they look like they're you know if you're just driving by on the highway they sometimes look quite barren but when you get up close you can see the diversity of life there and how they're so well adapted to different growing seasons and climates and and it, it's uh, the resiliency of these plant communities and and the habitat they provide for other organisms is just remarkable yeah no, it's, it's excellent so tell me about some of your current work with the OACC what are you doing yeah, so the Organic Agriculture Center of Canada was founded by Ralph Martin, Dr. Ralph Martin, back in 2001, when we were still part of the Nova Scotia Agricultural College at that time. And really the goals of the Organic Agriculture Center were to conduct really good science relating to organic agriculture, um, communicate that science to stakeholders who might use it, which would include farmers as well as policymakers, and then also to develop university-level courses for training in organic agriculture. And so that's kind of how we started out. And we were one of the, the first kind of national organizations uh, or bodies in, in Canada that really worked in organic agriculture. So really, we wanted to bring credibility to organic because uh, there's a lot of misperceptions about organic. And we wanted to bring that the science there to bring integrity to it and credibility, but also to improve it. So that that's kind of what the, the center okay. has been doing. Well, what are, what are some of the misconceptions people have and who has them? The public or non-organic farmers? What are they? Yeah, the... the <laughs> Both. Uh, sometimes it's the public and sometimes it's the other farmers and policymakers. And and I, I think some of the, the big misconceptions are that organic is just an old way of farming, really traditional. And certainly there are traditional practices involved, but, but really organic agriculture involves a, a much improved understanding of how the soil relates to the crops and how the crops relate to the insects and diseases and pests that we might have, and then also livestock that might be using them. And that relationship is among these different 
parts of the agricultural ecosystem are so important. And to really be a successful farmer, you have to be managing those components really well. And so there's a lot of work that goes behind that. And organic farmers uh, are sometimes criticized for not wanting to use new technologies, but, but that's not the case. They will use new technologies that are appropriate for their operations, and they will also adopt new knowledge, uh, ecological knowledge, to, to support their operations. So it's, it's a very knowledge-intense farming system. And that's, I think, one of the, the big misconceptions that it's just old farming. The other misconception, I would say, is related to the cost of organic foods. And people will challenge why organic foods are more expensive and when they see them in the grocery store. And a lot of that is simply supply and demand. Um, you know, and sometimes the, some of the bigger businesses involved in organic are, you know, putting on premium prices because of the, the demand for organic products. But there is a, organic farmers do have to put extra effort into their farming operations and they do get a premium price. But what's not understood by many people is the hidden costs of non-organic farming that are often overlooked. I'm surprised any produce, vegetables, whatever it may be, is as cheap as it is. When you look at all the effort that has to go into producing it, the time, like asparagus, I've heard it's like three years in order to get them, you know, once you plant them. And, and, you know, a lot of fruits are like three years or five years. I'm surprised it's not like 10 times the price. Oh, yeah. Especially a lot of the perennial fruits when you get into orchard and vineyard, vineyard situations, there's a lot of capital investment that goes into the land up front. And then it often takes several years before those trees or vines are ready to start producing fruit. So a lot of upfront investment and pretty slow time frame for getting a return on that investment. We all know we should be eating less sugar, but we're constantly bombarded with drinks and snacks loaded with refined sugar or alternative sweeteners like stevia or erythritol that recent studies have shown might not be as harmless as we thought. Enter Ubli, who just launched the world's first beverages to satisfy your sweet tooth with protein. Sweet proteins are nature's candy, and give Oobly's brand new sweet iced teas sugar-like sweetness without the impact to your health. Get 20% off your Oobly order with the promo code GENIUS at Oobly.com and try all three delicious craft-brewed sweet iced teas, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. That's Oobly.com, O-O-B-L-I.com, and use the code GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. Hey, another thought that came to mind, I don't know if this would be good or counterproductive, has anyone created a sacrificial area on their farm where they know pests will go? Let's say they grow the crops that they know the pests will love to go to. Maybe they mix them all in and they have a small field in one area, and that's the honey pot for all the bugs and stuff to go to. Or would that backfire? No, actually, you're, you're right on online with uh, some of the key ecological approaches associated with uh, organic farming. And especially when you get into some of the little bit smaller scale production systems and orchards and vineyards where you might have insect pests problems. What uh, these organic farmers will do is they'll create these um, uh, habitats that will hopefully draw insect pests uh, into those habitats and away from the cash crop. So basically plant something that's more desirable than the cash crop that you're trying to grow. And sometimes they will draw them in and then have some way of uh, controlling the pest once it's in that area. So they kind of lure them in and then they might have uh, 
habitat also for predator species of those pests or maybe some sort of a trapping system that would be in there. So that's one of the innovative ecological ways that organic farmers will avoid using uh, synthetic pesticides on the farm. That's really interesting. What are some other interesting innovations that organic farmers do to help get yields? Yeah, well, I think if we back up one step and just talk about you know, why organic agriculture is really valuable um, or interesting to me, at least. <laughs> organic agriculture is really uh, the, an internationally recognized system of food production. There's uh, over 190 countries around the world that are have farmers that are growing organically. And organic agriculture is defined by certain four principles of ecology, health, fairness, and care. So there's internationally recognized principles that they try to follow that are really uh, cornerstones of sustainability. And then most of the countries, or a lot of them, have regulated standards that the farmers have to follow. And it's been demonstrated that organic farms can provide a lot of benefits to the ecosystems or in, in our farming situations. And one of them is basically reducing the environmental contamination from fertilizers. So really heavy use uh, of uh, chemical fertilizers, if they're not used appropriately, can result in runoff issues and groundwater contamination and so on. Another one is the pesticides that are being used, the synthetic pesticides that often seem to be ending up in non-target areas. And we're, we're sometimes seeing pesticides that are showing up in oceans and in, in Arctic regions uh, far from where they ever would have been applied. And so by not using synthetic pesticides, uh, we reduce impacts on the environment. We don't expose farmers to the pesticides, so that makes them healthier or helps them to stay healthy. And it reduces consumer exposure to pesticides. And organic farmers also do not have, are restricted in their use of antibiotics. Processors are restricted in use of artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives in food. So there's lots of risk reduction that is associated with organic farming and lots of benefits to society. Well, I usually can tell when I go to the supermarket if I, I try to only get organic because the non-organic stuff just is tasteless. It's just blech. So yeah, I like organic a lot better. Have you worked on any farms or areas that were conventionally farmed and you turned them organic? And if so, how long does that take and how much effort does that take? Yeah, so if there's a conventional farm that's uh, wanting to convert to organic production, it's uh, they call it the, a transition period, a three-year transition period. And so in order to transfer your land over into organic, you essentially need to go through this waiting time where you have to be applying organic practices, but uh, you aren't being able to sell your product as an organic product. So it's actually a fairly, it can be a fairly costly three-year period for the farmers if they aren't planning for it properly. And the reason why they go through a transition is that they there's a learning curve associated with adopting the right practices in organic farming and learning what the rules are and what products you can use on organic farms and what products you can't use. So it's kind of a training system. And it also gives the the land an opportunity to move away from the chemical dependency that it had to more ecological systems. And by doing so, we have greater assurance to the consumers that they're getting products that haven't been exposed to pesticides, for example. So what are some of the specific uh, experimentation that you've been doing on organic farming? Yeah, so some of the... well. A lot of what I do now, actually, is facilitate or coordinate research work going on across the country. So 
our center sets the national research priorities for organic agriculture, and we manage the national science program associated with organic agriculture. So we've moved towards a little bit more towards an administrative type role, but uh, because we have kind of the big picture view. But there, there's some amazing research that's going on by researchers across the country in organic agriculture. And one example is uh, Dr. Manish Rezada at the University of Guelph. And he's looking for ways of controlling diseases in wheat and corn, fungal diseases specifically. And so he was looking for this, what's called a biocontrol, a way of uh, using one organism to suppress another organism, which in this case would be the disease. So he looked in the head of wheat and found that there are some bacteria that actually could be used to suppress the fungi or the fungus, fungal disease that's infecting the wheat heads. So he's now starting to isolate that and he's developing a biological control uh, rather than a synthetic pesticide to help manage those pests. So that I think is one of, uh, it's a really exciting project. Another one is uh, Dr. Musa Dayara, who works with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And he's been studying, recognizing that there's a need to reduce antibiotic use in, especially in poultry production and maybe in pork as well, but he is focusing on poultry. So he was looking at the skin of fruits like blueberries and cranberries that are really high in antioxidants such as polyphenols and are known to be really uh, good for your health. So he's been studying how we can use the pumice left over from juicing blueberries and cranberries and using them as a feed supplement in poultry to suppress E. coli and salmonella. So these are really innovative researchers that are trying to find uh, solutions to challenges on organic farms. Some of my work has uh, looked at biodiversity on organic farms and to see if organic farms are actually supporting higher, uh, more habitat for biodiversity. And, and we've definitely seen some clear benefits to that as well. Well, what are some of the um, benefits of organic farms and then what are some of the trade-offs in the main ones? Or versus conventional. Yeah, so the the big benefits of organic farms are reducing uh, risks associated with uh, fertilizers and pesticide use and antibiotics uh, as well. And we see also that most that organic operations have a tendency to have higher biodiversity. So there's reduced risk overall to the environment and to the farmers and uh, their health, and to some extent to the consumers as well in terms of. Uh, if they're particularly sensitive to pesticides or some of the synthetic ingredients in foods. So those are some of the clear benefits. And so we have cleaner water, more diverse landscapes, and, and healthier environments. The, the trade-off, one of the biggest trade-offs is that is, is yield. And, and it's something that organic agriculture often gets uh, criticized for, is perhaps having a slightly uh, lower yield in some crops. Not all crops will have lower yields, but grains in particular are known to have uh, lower yields than their con conventional counterparts. Because um, organic farming is more knowledge intense and more labor intense, um, it also can make it more challenging challenging for organic farmers to find the labor that they need to carry out their operations. And so it takes more people perhaps to grow the same amount of crop or more time invested in growing it, opposed to using uh, fertilize, synthetic fertilizers and uh, pesticides especially. So that's, I would say, the, the biggest trade-off in, in terms of organic production. Um, what are some of the new innovations in organic farming? Like, What, what are some of the uh... Again, the current challenges and maybe some innovations in the specific area of organic farming that you think are great. One of the bigger challenges right now, uh, as we are 
paying much more attention to climate change issues, and there's a lot of uh, interest in carbon sequestration and the impacts of uh, agricultural farming systems on uh, releasing carbon into the atmosphere, as well as how can we capture it, because plants catch carbon and uh, photo, through photosynthesis and actually can put it back into the soil. So we're looking at the, the net balance. Um, organic farmers, I, I guess one of the other trade-offs is that uh, they will sometimes use more tillage to control weeds in uh, their management systems. So how do we ensure that we can keep the carbon in the soil and reduce climate change impacts while also controlling the weeds? And so that's one of the bigger challenges. So there's some interesting innovations and fairly simple innovations relating to reducing tillage in organic farming systems. And so there's a technique such as the Rodale roller system where you're trying to reduce the intensity of tillage by rolling down a crop or weeds and creating a mulch surface that will help suppress weeds rather than having to till them. And it doesn't sound like a really advanced technology, but it's actually a really important and ecologically sound technology. So a number of uh, farmers are also starting to look at grazing of, uh, of cover crops. So cover crops are really, really important for organic farms. One of the key ingredients to growing uh, your fruits and vegetables and grains is a, a fertilizer called nitrogen or a nutrient, I should say, that's called nitrogen. And you can get nitrogen by manufacturing it uh, synthetically, or you can produce it naturally by growing uh, legumes such as peas and beans and so on. And so there are some legumes that can actually take nitrogen out of the air and put it into their plants and eventually into the ground that can support other crops. And so uh, using cover crops such as uh, these legumes is a really, really important source of nitrogen that does not have the energy burden associated with synthetically manufacturing nitrogen, uh, nitrogen fertilizers. So it's it's one of the, the key ingredients to organic farming or key practices associated with organic farming. So managing that cropping system is really, really important. Yeah, with cover crops, I'd heard that it reduces the uh, the surface soil temperature and reduces loss of moisture in plants uh, and better health and otherwise. Anything else to add to that? Or is that is that accurate what cover crops do or are there other functions? Oh, well, you, you nailed it. Uh, they protect the soil from erosion. They reduce water loss, although they can actually through draw water out of the soil through evaporation. So there's uh, an appropriate balance there. When they're terminated, if they're left as a mulch on the surface, then they definitely will reduce uh, water loss. Uh, they'll help with water infiltration. Some of the cover crops can fix nitrogen from the atmosphere, as I just mentioned, and uh, others are really good at breaking up uh, soil compaction, so really hard soils. So you can strategically use different cover crops for different purposes. And some of them are really good at uh, sequestering carbon or uh, catching carbon and putting it into the soil. And that helps with uh, greenhouse gas emissions and with climate change issues. So cover crops are a really popular topic right now. And this is something that organic farmers have been very reliant on for some time. So a lot of the knowledge that we have about cover crops and the activities that are going on in agriculture now with cover crops really is supported by the foundation that was organic agriculture. Um, what do you think is going to be the near term future of organic agriculture any big changes coming or is it just you know 
fix this problem, fix that problem, kind of work our way slowly towards uh, improved yields, yields and better practices. I, I think that organic is being challenged by the world is evolving very quickly. And a lot of the challenges associated with agriculture are evolving very quickly. And it's hard for organic agriculture sometimes to keep up with some of the, the challenges that it faces. And so what we are seeing, though, is uh, a greater adoption of a, a lot of the practices associated with organic agriculture in non-organic production systems. And I think that that's where organic agriculture is really, really valuable. It is a, a kind of a model of an alternate pathway towards sustainability in agriculture. And because organic agriculture has restrictions in terms of its standards and uh, its guiding principles, we have to find really unique solutions to problems and uh, to challenges associated with agriculture and that other researchers might not be looking at. And so we come up with different ways of, of handling issues. And and some of those challenges have, uh, have resulted in really positive uh, results, such as the cover crops, um, some of the biocontrols that we've been talking about. There's also insect uh, ways of other ways of uh, controlling insects organically. We're going to see uh, there's a lot of interest in animal welfare in organic farming systems. And, and I would say that, that the uh, organic provided a model of how you can farm successfully by still having uh, good animal welfare and also being more environmentally sustainable. And that has created more pressure on the rest of agriculture to move into more sustainable practices. So I think that organic will continue to be a guiding light in this regard and then will continue to be adopting some of these new ecological practices. Well, very good. Um, so what's the best way that people can learn from, you know, what the OACC is doing or find out about organic practices? You know, let's say they're trying to farm at home or uh, they're trying to convert their farm from traditional to organic. What's a good starting spot for people? Yeah, I there's lots of excellent resources compared with 20 years ago when the center started. Uh, there's so many more resources available on the internet for organic farmers. And I think it's, it's really important that they look for resources that are appropriate for their own local region and their growing environment. And so just about every state in the U.S. and uh, most of the provinces in Canada will have some good resources that are relevant to the specific growing conditions of their region. So I would be careful in selecting, um, accessing resources that are relevant to your own area. Uh, to access our site, so you have, you can go to dal, D-A-L dot C-A slash O-A-C-C, and that'll take you to the Organic Agriculture Centre of Canada website. And we put out uh, an annual magazine that summarizes a lot of the research that's going on in Canada relating to organic science. And it's the Organic Science Canada magazine that uh, anyone can Google uh, in conjunction with our partner, the Organic Federation of Canada. And that'll give you all the latest research and techniques that are associated with organic in Canada. There's one other area that I might touch on. Oh, sure. One of the big challenges or criticisms of organic agriculture, because uh, the grains especially have lower yields, is the ability of organic agriculture to feed the world. And I think that this is one of the misleading strategies, I guess, of, uh, of some of the input-driven uh, corporations in agriculture. Organic agriculture or feeding the world is a very complex issue. And it is not simply, we're not going to solve our food supply issues by simply growing more. That would be kind of like saying, 
we need to pour more water into a bucket that has a bunch of holes in it. And the holes in the agricultural system are associated with food losses, post-harvest losses, and even pre-harvest losses. Sorry about that, good. Sorry. The issues are associated with pre- and post-harvest losses of foods right on the farm. And so many farmers around the world, especially in developing countries, do not have access to proper storage for their grains. They do not have access to refrigeration and proper transportation to get to market. So there's a lot of losses that happen before people even have an opportunity to access the food. The other issues relating to food supply also involve food waste. And we know, especially in North America, we've estimated that there's about 30% food waste that happens in North America. And, and then we have excessive food consumption that's an issue as well. So there's a lot of contributing factors to determining whether we have a sufficient food supply. And some of our land is being used to grow crops uh, for non-food uses or for feed to support livestock that support the meat industry. I'm not entirely opposed to eating meat by any stretch, but we can be more judicious in how much meat we eat so that we're not, so we can use our land more efficiently. So there's a lot of issues associated with uh, feeding the world. And uh, there's some research that has actually shown that if farmers in developing countries have, would have adopted uh, compared with their uh, non-organic practices that uh, and low-input non-organic practices, if they adopted organic production practices, they could actually double the amount of food that they're producing. And uh, that's without using the fertilizers and chemicals. Many of them don't have access to fertilizers and chemicals anyway. And so if they just adopted organic practices, they could grow crops much more successfully. So I think the solution to feeding the world is really lying in ensuring that we are helping those people around the world to grow their crops more efficiently and minimizing the use of inputs as much as possible because many of them don't have the money to buy these inputs. So I think that's one of the big misconceptions about feeding the world and it's an important one to address. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about all this in a clear way. I know there's still tons more to learn about it, but it's a good introduction there's some good uh, differences between organic and traditional. So, Thanks. Andrew, thank you so much for coming. Remember, if you're looking for groundbreaking low sugar products, head over to oobly.com and try the world's first iced teas made with sweet proteins, the future of sweet, because we all deserve to feel good about healthy sweetness. Use the promo code Genius at oobly.com and get 20% off their lemon, peach, or mango yuzu sweet iced teas. Oobly is sweet without sacrifice. Website is O-O-B-L-I dot com promo code genius g-e-n-i-u-s if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes you've been listening to the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs if you like what you hear be sure to review and subscribe to the finding genius podcast on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and want to be smarter than everybody else Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.